Runner on first base, two outs, and the pitch. The runner goes. The throw down to second base, the tag, he is out. And that is another caught stealing. Welcome to Caught Stealing with E. Marquez. Today's show will have lineup construction, baseball hot stove, which is heating up for the holidays, and a road to Tangent City. At this point, I want to talk to you about Chicagoland Men's Health. It's a testosterone therapy clinic here in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Michael Koff, Dr. Mark Andahar, they've helped me with the process and learning about my testosterone and where I want my testosterone levels to be at and help me with uh, getting the idea and getting, and getting educated on what I, needed, I need to do for my own health. And I recommend that you go check them out. Give them a call. Get a blood test at least. Find out where you're at and get the process started. Tell them E. Marquez sent you and check them out at uh, ChicagolandsMensHealth.com. And the phone number is 312-888-5655. Let them know that E. Marquez sent you. Good morning and welcome back to Caught Stealing with E. Marquez. How's everybody doing today? Well, let me get into some brief uh, news of what's going on in baseball today. Uh, looks like Dylan Batances has agreed to terms with the New York Mets. One, it's a uh, one-year guarantee with um, performing options, and they uh, guarantee uh, is guaranteed three years of rolling opt-outs after each year. So it's one year guaranteed. So that's pretty cool. That's a pretty good deal with with Batances. I don't see any uh, specifications on what the terms are. Well, Cole Calhoun signs with the Diamondbacks. He's he's an outfielder. Now, Diamondbacks added Mad Bum last week, Madison Bumgarner, and now Cole Calhoun, which is one of my favorite players. Got a great finish in his swing, left-handed bat. Um... Uh, Ryu, uh, former Dodger pitcher, Hinjin Ryu signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's an interesting, that's interesting for me because Toronto has to be creative in what they do. They definitely have to have more resources and more creativity in their farm system because not a lot of players want to play up in Toronto. But uh, they have won back-to-back championships in the early 90s so they're capable of getting the talent and capable of producing championships so uh they signed uh high gen uh jin ryu also um a little less little uh other signings have gone down um a lot of a lot of a lot of major leaguers going to asia korea and japan to play for example we have uh, Raul Ancantara signed with KBO's Dusan Bears. I don't know. Uh, I don't know 
what Raul Encantara did. I mean, he played for the Athletics, but maybe he's a pitcher. But that's just an example. Um, White Sox are very serious in talks with Edwin Encarnacion, or the way Mark DeRosa likes to call him, Edwin Wanacracker. And uh, <laughs> so uh, he looks like he's going to be a White Sox. White Sox just finished signing uh, Dallas Keiko to a three-year deal. I believe it's $72, $73 million. Averages out to $8 million a year. Solidifies or trying to solidify the rotation with all the young starters. Uh, High-quality arms they have. I'm still not sold on the uh, White Sox. I believe they have a lot of work to do. Remember, they finished 21 games behind the second wild card place and over 30 games behind the division champions. Do they catch up in one off season? No, not at all. They did have the batting tamp, which he attained the batting title with his um, batting average with the least amount of bat, uh, at bats to qualify. And uh, they had the RBI champ, which uh, that is uh, Jose Abreu. I, I am not sold on Jose Abreu. He is a career White Sox player. He will be there for a while, but I am not sold on him. I think he's uh, one of those stat-stuffing guys. I also believe to a certain extent that uh, uh, Mike Trout is a stat-stuffer, but Mike Trout just has it, and he has a lot of intangibles that, uh, th- that make him the best player in the game. Again, you could be the best player in the game and not be a winner. So Barry Bonds was like that for a lot for a long time. Remember, Barry Bonds never won a World Series championship. So even though uh, you have the it and the intangibles and your great talent, you're not necessarily a winner. And in baseball, you can make an impact. You don't have to this uh, excuse of all, oh, but you know he can't do everything. Well, I've seen players. I've seen players take over games in 10 days, in 20 days, in a whole playoff span. So even though Strasburg and uh, Max Serger dominated in the postseason for the uh, Nasty Nats this year, it was Soto and it was Rendon who continued to put pressure on the other team. Remember, the Washington Nationals won four games on the road in the World Series to win the championship. That wasn't all done by the pitching. That was done by some timely hitting and some key players coming through. And those players were Juan Soto and Hector Rendon. So uh, players do have an impact. Individual players do have an impact. We are uh, attempted to be brainwashed by these analytic guys, which I don't mind the analytics, but don't tell me that's the be all end all. There's a mixture of everything. Uh, I just heard last week or two weeks ago, somebody tried to say that Chris Bryant had a wonderful 2019, maybe analytically, but he did not have a wonderful 2019. He was proven to be expendable in 2019. So I seen a lot of times where that guy did not come through with two strikes, man on scoring position, or a lot of times where he, a lot more times uh, that he made key errors at third base. So listen, these guys are great talents and it's tough to do it on a day in, day out basis. But those guys that are doing it on a day in, day out basis are having career years and I would accept that, yes. But again, the Cubs 
teams like the White Sox, teams like the Athletics and the Rays and, you know, the Rangers. And there's teams all over the place that if they're going to contend, yeah, they need one or two players to have career years. And Mike Trout has almost every year career year, but he does not win. He does not win. So we'll see what happens with Joe Madden. We'll see how the culture changes over there and see what goes on. But honestly, uh, these analytic guys, these stat stuffers like Jose Abreu, uh, like Jorge or George Soler, um, those guys are analytic stat stuffer guys. They don't they don't play the part. They don't they, they're not impactful in W's. And it shows I don't want to hear anything about war and I will not accept anything about war because who is the replacement player? I know of a, re- a replacement player that became Lou Gehrig. So I don't want to hear anything about that. Don't justify me any kind of war stats or whatever like that. So I just want to see winners. I want to see championships. I want to see greatness. And right now, yeah, I like watching Mike Trout. I like watching Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor. But there's not a lot of greatness going on. I'm not in awe of these players uh, in this day and age, even in basketball and in football. Although Pat Mahomes in football is a great talent. All right, continuing on in these um, recent moves. um, I mean, I won't talk about anything like stupid crap where Rich Hill was arrested and his wife that's just you know I, I don't I don't do none of that I don't do none of that conversation so um uh, White Sox reportedly still interested in Nicholas Castellano there was a report several weeks ago that the Cubs had a hush hush agreement with Nicholas Castellano and that's why he's waiting but he's a Scott Boris guy we'll see what happens Um, In this report written by Steve Adams, I don't know who he is, but White Sox already filled a corner outfield spot by acquiring Nomar Mazzara, Uh, inking Yasmani Grindel and Dallas Keiko and Gio Gonzalez. Uh, John Morosi tweets that the Cy Sox are still interested in bringing free agent slugger Nicholas Castellano to fold. All right. White Sox are comfortable with their payroll continue to grow. He lists the team's current obligations as close to $100 million, though that seemingly isn't accounting for pre-arbitration players. Um, regardless, it certainly would seem as though the Sox had the payroll capacity to fit Castellanos. Of course they do. Uh, yeah, well, um, we'll see what that goes on. Uh, I don't know what it is. I know Castellanos is holding out because he wants to play with the Cubs. I know that. He loved playing with the Cubs and the Cubs deal some players he can be right in the fold as one of the core guys with who the Cubs do not trade um uh there's no more stuff Indian sign Cesar Hernandez who's a shortstop look at that he's 30 he's a shortstop does that mean that they're gonna move uh Francisco Lindor we'll see what happens um Marlon signed Francisco Cervelli. So there's just little signings here and there. Nothing to go crazy with. Uh, One thing I do want to talk about is lineup construction. I do want to talk about lineup construction. And the reason why is because I've seen teams using analytics to try to reinvent the wheel in lineup construction. The way I see it, the way it goes for me, 
playing baseball, watching baseball, and coaching some baseball here and there in the high school level. Lineup construction is made uh, with a fast on-base guy in the top of the order. One guy that doesn't necessarily need to make a base hit to get on base, doesn't need a base hit to advance. So he's a guy that has good speed, has an understanding of running bases. The guy batting number two is an individual who's got real soft hands, a guy who can put the ball anywhere he wants, puts pressure on the pitcher to make sure he throws fastballs. That happens because he fouls off good curveballs, change-ups, and sliders. Also, the leadoff hitter is forcing the pitcher to throw fastballs because the other pitches are better to steal on. You need a combination that works. You need to get that leadoff hitter to second base with one out or less outs or zero outs. Because that way, there's a lot more things to do. The third hitter is your best hitter. A guy who's a contact hitter with power, with decent speed. But he's your best hitter. He's your guy that's going to get you, uh, get that runner on base to first to third. Um, he's another guy that doubles and triples. I call him the Castellanos guy. Castellanos is a guy that hits gap to gap. He's got power to opposite field. He also at Wrigley Field shows some power to his pull side. Castellanos is a perfect three hitter. He doesn't strike out much. He puts the bat on the ball. He's a guy that's a perfect three hitter. The four hitter is your power bat, preferably a lefty because you want to change it up. Preferably a lefty that's got good power that can go to all fields. But he got good pop. I know Anthony Rizzo is good there. Javi Baez is good there. Um, uh, I would put uh, Edwin Encarnacion there. Somebody with the skill set like uh, Aaron Judge. Like Aaron Judge is not a number two hitter. I'm sorry. He's not a number two hitter. That's Aaron Boone and the Yankees with the analytics trying to redefine this thing that they want to get their best player with all these at-bats. Lineup construction should be where a player develops into the form of that style of player. No player can bat number one, two if he's been a, a big bopper his whole time playing baseball. You cannot just play, you cannot just plug and play in these things. If that was the case, just put nine names in a hat, including the pitcher, shake up the hat and what name, pull out the names and there's your lineup. It doesn't work that way. I don't care what analytics says. For me, my opinion, and this is just, just watching baseball, just see what works. Number four hitter is their big bopper. Number five hitter is another big bopper, preferably from the right side of the plate. He hits the opposite field. He's got good opposite field power. Javi Baez would be good there. Uh, a, a young Albert Pujols uh, is good there. Mike Stanton is good there. I like the opposite field power. A guy that keeps the defense honest and you, you doesn't only have pull power, but opposite field power. A lot of doubles, a lot of gap hitting. That's your number five hitter. A number six is your poor man three hitter. A guy who's got good power. He has good back control. He has decent speed. That would be a good number six. Contreras is good there. Um, uh, Schwarber can be good there. If you go into other lineups, uh, Eloy Jimenez would be good there. Uh, I like in uh, a Joe Maurer, a former Joe, you know, Joe Maurer could be the good there. Uh, 
the racing i believe his name is uh from the phillies racing he he's good there uh you know i like that guy uh, i like i like the trying to think of some more um number six hitter can be uh, just thinking of players off the top of my head that can be quality player. Oh, um, I mean, another Mike Stanton is good there. Um, uh, you can also put in uh, 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 who's a second baseman from the White Sox for the Yankees. He can also be a number two hitter, but also a six hitter. So he's good. He's good in that range where he's a two-three-six type player, DJ LeMahieu. So guys like that would bat six for me. Number seven is a guy that can play, that can produce power. Also, he's got decent speed, but he, he's he's known to be a clutch hitter, meaning that he's going to give you a professional at bat. For me. Uh, players that would go into that spot would be a uh, like a, a McCann um, from the Braves. Uh, he would be good there. A guy like uh, Nelson Cruz would be good there. Uh, and not 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 factoring the speed part, but he's a good contact hitter. A guy that gets the bat on the ball, but also has some great power. Um, I can go when the season starts. I'll get more into detail what guys like name wise, since I'm in off season mode right now. But uh, going going to the eighth hitter to me, it's your best defender, a guy that gets the bat on the ball, but he's more important as a um, a defender and, and and guy that can kick the ball to the opposite field. Um, but you can use that guy as one to be uh to me the one that the one that gets in there is uh arcia from the brewers the shortstop he would be a nice piece there uh the, the other kid the he's a, he played third base for the cardinals last year he would be nice there too edmund uh, because he's a quality high level defender, but also he's one of those sneaky hitters. He's also uh, the eighth spot is also a guy that you can put there that the that there's not a book on him yet and he can develop into those contact hitters, but his defense is plus. And then your nine hitter in the DH world would be another leadoff hitter, a guy that's speedy, uh, quality glove man, um, can steal bases. He's, he's like a pest in the batter's box. And then, of course, in the National League would be your hit, your pitcher. But that would be it. Lineup construction would be in that realm. But again, we, we have to know, we, you know, as observers of the game, you know, it's not always going to be peaches and cream. You remember, the pitchers get paid too, and there's a lot of great pitchers in Major League Baseball. But when you construct a lineup, you would think, or I would want that, in my perfect baseball game, I'm playing for one run an inning. Now, the analytics will tell you, no, 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 that doesn't count that way because they're looking at the whole 162 games, 500-plus at-bats. Um, they're looking at the big macro number, not me. I want the game within the game. Uh, I would play one run an inning, and then as the game progresses, I'm going tournament-style baseball. Tournament-style baseball is basically you're just 
playing to win that game. You'll do anything to win that game. Now, with the new rule that if you bring a relief pitcher into an inning, he's got to face three batters before you can take him out. That's gonna la- that's gonna allow more more action and more runners on base. So yeah, you're gonna see a guy come in, face three batters. Two guys are gonna get on. Maybe he's gonna allow a run, whatever. He's gonna have to be able to throw more than 20, 25 pitches an inning, and then you're gonna wind up taking him out. So in in the best case scenario. It's one, two, three, he's out. And the worst case scenario is three home runs and he's down three nothing uh, in that inning. Well, if you play for one run an inning, if you play for one run an inning, which is somewhat tournament ball, what you're doing is you're putting pressure on the other team. Number one, you're not getting one, two, three innings. Number two, you're rotating, you're, you're rolling the lineup over. So your best hitters are getting at bats. Number three, you're going to have eight runs. If you're the home team, you're going to have nine runs if you're the road team. If you're playing, if you're playing nine, if you're trying to score nine runs a game, one run an inning, that's what's going to happen. That's my philosophy. My thought is let's go one run an inning. You know, first and second, nobody out. Let's bunt them over. I mean, if the pitcher, the pitcher will dictate to me what the batter should be doing. And that's only for my big boppers. If I have uh, Chris Bryan up running at first and second, and he's not really a bunner, but the pitcher has dominated him. I'm not going to take Chris Bryan out of the game in the second, third, fourth inning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have Chris Bryan bunt. If the pitcher is known to be a dominator, and I need this one run, I need to play for one run, got to bunt him over. You got to get him over. You cannot strike out. You cannot fly out. You cannot get an infield fly roll. You cannot be a productive at bat. Now, three-run homer, sure. Can he run into one versus an ace? Sure, that can happen, but it's not going to happen often. If you look at the numbers or the numbers people like to talk about, he's more likely to be. He's more likely 70% chance to be an out. If we can get that 70% chance to be a out of that 70%. 100 at-bats, 30 of them are hits, 70 of them are outs. If we can get 65 of that 70 to be a productive out, we won. We won that at-bat, especially versus an ace or a top-level pitcher. If he does nothing and there's first and second, one out, and then he comes up, it's two outs, or first and second, nobody out, and then he gets the one out, now it's first and second, the next guy grounds a double play, our threat is over. We have to put pressure on the defense. That's just my thought. That's just, to me, that's that's how baseball is one-on-one. That's my that's my thought. And 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 I haven't heard anything else to prove any that situation wrong or that situation incorrect. Because going going forward, you're looking at to score one run. You're looking to score one run. If you get more than one run, one run, then okay, you're ahead of the ball. You're ahead of the game. Meaning the next inning or the following inning, you don't have to score. But scoring one run with a quality defense and top-notch pitching where you're not walking batters, you're going to win more games than you lose. You're going to win a high, a high amount of more games. It's, it's, it's just that simple. And, and not only that, these games are highly competitive. You're never out of the game with that philosophy. Never out of the game. So... Uh, it's a system, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a system-based theory. 
you know, you got to develop that system. It's got to be from the minor league system up. Um, but, you know, this day and age, it's the air quote uh, year of the home run or era of the home run live ball era. For me, you still play play for that one run. You'll If you play the game the right way where you're putting pressure on the defense, you're going to come out on top. That's just how I see it. Well, um, I think we're going to go ahead and take a trip to uh, Tangent City in a little bit because I got some thoughts on Bears football and uh, the NFL in general. And this being a Christmas episode, I'm looking to see what happens in the NBA because in my opinion, the NBA starts on Christmas. So... uh, Wait for uh, wait for the next messages, and then the next segment will start up. Um, we'll see how we'll see how Tangent City comes about, but it's only two or three topics there, and we'll move right along. And we're on the road to Tangent, 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 Tangent City, Tangent, 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 Tangent. City. So the Bears season have come, has come to an end. Well, actually, when they lost to the Packers several weeks ago, two Sundays ago. But this week they played against Pat Mahomes and Kansas City Chiefs. And they looked woeful. Woeful. Defense looked like they quit. Offense looks like they have no, no way to fix themselves. But uh, I'll tell you what, there is going to be some major changes. I do not know if the quarterback is going to be replaced or not. I think they're going to give him one more season. But, um, I mean, the shocker to me would be if Ryan Pace, the general manager, is taken out of the front office. But he's deserved to be removed. He's made a decent roster. A decent roster. A roster that should compete every game. But there's just the little things that are not happening for them not to be winning. Also, he has earned the right to be fired. Now, fired is one thing. I'm also thinking that he can be elevated to a president of football operations where he does not make decisions on player personnel or talent evaluation. I think he should be he should be able to hire a general manager to make those decisions because his talent evaluation has missed. If you if you lined yourself up with a player like Mitch Trubisky where you moved up the circumstances you know how they say that it's not the lie that gets you in trouble it's the cover-up of the lie that gets you into trouble well this is it it's not the pick of the number two pick in the draft for mitch trubisky it's the way he went about it moving up from number three to number two giving away draft picks to do that move 
in my opinion, he should have been going backwards, getting more draft picks, and then attaining either Watson or Mahomes. But Mahomes was the pick and should have been the pick all along. When you got a cannon for an arm, a heart as big as the state of Texas for football, and the love to learn the game, of course that's the pick. And he's a good kid. Why wouldn't you pick him? The reasons we get is he had injury issues. Uh, he's not very athletic, which is BS. Uh, in Watson's case, his bones are too thin because of his ankles and wrists were too thin. You get to get the guy that has the cannon for an arm, the mind for the game, and the heart of a champion. That's what you need to get. Trubisky has none of those. Maybe he has the heart for the game, but he has no way in ever developing his mind for the game. His arm is suspect at best. He does not hit guys in stride. He cannot throw the deep ball to save his life. He makes really bad decisions. When you're in fourth down and you need six yards, you need to make sure that you can see the whites of the receiver's eyes before you throw the ball to him. It needs to be 100% certain that that guy is going to catch the ball, or at least you put it on him enough where he's going to catch the ball. You cannot throw a 50-50 ball to try to catch a ball. You can't do it. You can't do it. And for that, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what is the issue here. I don't know what the situation is here with, you know, I, I, I want I want I'm a Bears fan. Yes, I want to see Trubisky better, but he doesn't look like he's going to get better. Now, they must have been saying the same things about other quarterbacks that were late bloomers. And I'm not going to say no names because then it sounds like I'm comparing them. But listen to this. Mitch Trubisky does not look like a top 15 quarterback. He just doesn't. What do you do? I have no idea. What I would like to see them do is make sure they get an established and an understanding on the defensive end. Pagano, I thought he got a C minus, maybe even a D plus as a coordinator. The numbers say that the Bears were tough to score on. Okay, fine. But these third down conversions were an absolute joke. When you're allowing third down conversions with wide open wide receivers, where is the blitzing? And if you're just sending one linebacker or one safety in a blitz and there and, and you're dropping a defense alignment, that's not considered a blitz. In my opinion, more than four five more than four, five, six is a blitz. Uh, I don't know. I, I I'm expecting a whole bunch of changes. I know the schedule gets easier next year. They will only face four, and that count that includes their two division opponents. They will only face four division, I mean four playoff teams next year. Four. So 
they're going to have an easier schedule. They're going to be able to come back and make uh, and be competent, even with their current roster. But in my opinion, if they want sustained success, they got to change a lot of things. They have to change a lot of things. We'll see what happens going forward. But again, I'm looking for change in the personnel department and I will be stunned. But I also would love the move if Ryan Pace was removed from the general manager position and talent evaluation position. Now, Ted Phillips, the the president of the team, I have no confidence in. I don't think he's going to do anything uh, or he's going to get it better. They need to restructure their whole front office where Ted Phillips is out. I don't again. I don't want him making any decision. Do not bring in a counselor or an advisor to help your team select talent. That was the stupidest crap when they brought in Ernie Accorsi several years ago. That was just flat out dumb. I I don't understand this stuff. Well, anyway, the NFL is getting ready for the playoffs. I like the Baltimore Ravens. I like the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, And the NFC, I like the San Francisco 49ers, even though their defense is starting to show cracks in it. Um, I like them to make a run. Uh, The Eagles, their cardiac, their cardiac Eagles, you never know about them. They always find a way, at least recently. The Saints are going to be there, but I like the 49ers. Um, and I like the Chiefs or the Ravens. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be, you know, looking forward to seeing what happens. And again, I have no idea what's going to happen, nor am I betting on anything. So it was going to be a fun time. And uh, we'll see what goes on in the, in the NFL playoff. Switching gears to college football, um, that playoff is going to be phenomenal. Ohio State versus Clemson. LSU versus Oklahoma. I think it's going to be LSU, Ohio State. LSU is going to win it all. I'd love to see Ed Orgeron do his thing. Win for the Bayou Bengals. But again, I'm going to love watching it and see how it is. Notre Dame gets Iowa State in some bowl. I don't even know. Capital. Not even think it's Capital One. It's some other uh, something, something, dot combo, whatever. But of course, I'm gonna be watching. Diehard Irish fan, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, this year, I was gonna do the picks of all 41 or 42 bowls, but uh, I didn't get in on time, so I didn't wind up doing that. But um, basketball begins, the NBA begins for me now. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna watch it. Uh, I'm tired of the NBA game. I don't like the three-point shot. I think the three-point shot should be pushed even further back. Too many guys, too many big men are taking three-point shots. Now, all of a sudden, they think they're three-point shooters. Uh, They try to tell me that the game of basketball, you take more three-pointers than two-pointers, you're going to win. No, you got to make them. So I don't see that. Uh, The game of basketball is move the ball, move yourself, offensive rebound, defense, playing tough defense. That's the game of basketball to me. You don't see that in the NBA uh, college game. There's a problem scoring. Uh, they moved They moved the three-point shot back, and now they can't score. So, again, there's some changes that need to be made. But uh, college basketball is getting interesting where 
It's getting closer to March Madness. You know, right now you have divisional play. I liken DePaul to what they're doing. Uh, Dave Lado, not my favorite, but he's a great, great guy. I got a friend who coaches in the uh, IHS, IS, IHSA uh, Public League here in Chicago, and he is he's got a great squad. It's up north, Chicago High School. He's a feeder system into DePaul. They're bringing up great players. Uh, I'm going to support DePaul because of him. I'm going to try to check out DePaul and Villanova or DePaul and uh, I believe Providence or Georgetown. They have them coming in in February. So we're going to check that out. Um, but that's what I'm going to be rooting for. I'm going to be looking to see DePaul into the, into the, to the tournament. Hopefully they do good things in the Big East tournament and bring back that Big East conference basketball, which in the 90s was some of the greatest basketball you've ever can imagine. So um, so that's it for Tangent City. And uh, yeah, we uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was uh, straight to the straight, straight forward. Uh, try to get in. Uh, I'm trying to do some hip hop and some um, some more pop stuff, uh, especially where I invited a couple of my friends to listen and I uh, wanted them to get involved and in, to see if I can hit their interest mark. Uh, they know who they are. Uh, my buddy says he loves hip hop and uh, he's uh, he's a very good dude, very guy, uh, a guy who uh, who's easy to talk to and uh, trying to get him to listen to more sports. And uh, let's just say he's uh, he's wor- let's just say they push him hard at work and he needs something to listen to. So you know who you are, big guy. So uh, I will uh, get back and uh, the next episode will be a whiskey wine Friday. I'll give you a little preview. Menage Trois. It's a California red wine. Zinfandel, Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. All right, we'll see how it goes. I'm gonna mix Menage Trois California California red wine with Maker's Mark. Make sure you understand, though, it's not a mix. It's a combo platter. It's a shot in a beer wine style. We're not mixing it unless the wine sucks. Then I'll mix it together. Remember that. It's key. Remember that. Here. In the back it says fresh ripe jam like fruit. That is calling card of California wine. Forward silky soft. An approachable delightful blend based on three. And there it is. Another episode of Caught Stealing with E. Marquez. Hope you enjoy it. Remember to share, subscribe, send it out to your buds, uh, like, do all the things that you do on your uh, podcast uh, platform. But that way, I can bring out more content. Uh, I'll be be doing still. I'll still be doing two uh, episodes a week. So I'll see you guys soon. Take care now. <laughs>